mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey guys, welcome back to Marriage of Martinis, and I'm Adam, and here's Danielle. Hello. We have another interview for you from Danielle. <laughs> you, you, it's not because you don't know, right? I know. I intro the episode, you intro the interviewee. Got it. Yes. I always ask people on Instagram if they've done couples counseling because I think that that's always the first go-to, right? If you're struggling in your marriage, you say, oh, well, have you tried counseling? And in theory, it sounds like an awesome idea and hopefully something that eventually maybe all of us can end up having. But I always get the same answers when people say that they aren't in couples counseling, it's either number one, we can't afford it. It could be really expensive. Number two, we don't have childcare so that we can go. Uh, and number three, um, I can't convince my partner to, to go. It just, he or she refuses. They, they won't go. There's, you know, there, I think there's still a stigma attached. Yeah, so, we've been through that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so I have, um, I have, after hearing this for months, really since the beginning of the podcast, thought to myself, there's got to be another way. And I did some research. You know how I love to do my research. <laughs> yes, you do. And I but found- But you're good at it, so. I, thank you. Yeah. I, wow, I really appreciate yeah. that. Thank you. I, you I do that. think I'm good at you it. You are good at I that. think maybe uh, in another life, I, I should have been, I could have been a researcher. If anybody wants to go on vacation- Danielle is number one oh, I love at researching research. vacations and places we will never go. That is correct. <laughs> but I I kept looking and I tried some different things and then I came ac- across Lasting, which is the number one uh, relationship counseling app. And I tried it and I actually came to them and I was so impressed by what they had and I, I had you sign up too. Yeah. And we started using it and I was so impressed with it that I wrote to them and I said, listen, we have a, you know, a marriage uh, podcast and I have, we are, we always hear from people who can't get counseling. Would you maybe come on and talk? And we ended up now we're partnered with them, but I really do think that they're amazing. And I think that what they're doing is incredible and they are going to open up the opportunity. Not that it should, it should not replace counseling. But it number one, it's going to help people to get their foot in the door. There's so much to it, and there's the research. They use John Gottman. They use all these amazing researchers, and I'm really excited about it. Asked Liz from Lasting, who's one of the researchers, to come on and talk to us, and she did. She said yes. So I can't wait for everybody to hear about it. I hope everyone will sign up. I think it's a great way to at least get your, uh, you know, get a start on some counseling and head in that direction and get your spouse comfortable with it. Couldn't and you have found this before I just went heads into the therapist? No, because <laughs> no, because it's not a replacement. No, but I'm saying to get me started. Oh, it right. Ease me in. <laughs> no, but you like counseling now. I love it. But I. I think that there's something to be said for even this in addition to counseling because they give you so much information and it's a daily five minutes really where you're just concentrating on your marriage and focusing on your marriage and, and privacy in your own, you know, not in front of anybody. You could do it anywhere in your office, in your bedroom, in your kitchen, wherever you want to be, five minutes. I think that it's it's a great tool and I'm very excited about it and I wanted to share it with everybody and I hope that people will go check it out. There's a free seven-day trial for their premium plan. So it's getlasting.com and go get yourself signed up. But first, listen to the interview. 
So we're here with Liz, and we're so happy that you're here with us on Marriage and Martinis. Thanks. I'm glad to be here, Adam and Danielle. Thanks for having me. So do you want to, can you tell us a little bit about your background, uh, what you do, and anything that at all that we should know about who you are before we get into the, all the stuff? Um, so I'm a psychotherapist, and I'm a licensed professional counselor. I work mainly with couples and with adults. And my background and my training is in the Gottman couples therapy approach and in attachment therapy. And I also have training in trauma work that I do with adults. Um, so I've been doing private practice with couples and individuals for about seven years. And in the last three years, I've had the privilege of getting to join up with an app called Lasting. And I've gotten to be the head of research and write a lot of the content. And Lasting is an app for people that are in relationships, um, either serious, committed relationships or married. And it's um, designed to help you learn skills to become a better partner. And Adam and I have started using the app just to jump in a little bit. We'll talk about more about it later. But what I love so much about it is that it's, you only need like five minutes a day. Yes. And that was a big, from the beginning, a big kind of design component was trying to make it kind of like an exercise, um, kind of like when you go to the, well, I mean, you go to the gym for longer than five minutes, hopefully, but <laughs> something <laughs> that was accessible and, you know, realistic for people that they could do on a daily or weekly basis, um, but they could get a lot of content in kind of a quick run through. So yeah, the, most of the sessions are around five minutes and everything that we've written is backed in research. So it's not stuff that we're coming up with per se, we're kind of putting it together and making it usable but it's all backed in research from all kinds of people in the field that have been doing this for decades. I think the app is so great uh, that because, for instance, it took a really long time for me. Adam, we talk about in our podcast, we talk about how Adam is now in therapy and it took me years to get him to go into therapy. And we would love to start couples therapy right now, but for us, he's already in therapy. It's too expensive for us to do couples and him and all the other expenses we have. I think what's so great about the app is that on so many levels, number one, it's such a obviously financially smart way to get some of that counseling and that marital help, even though I know you say it's not a replacement for counseling. Um, but also, I think it's so amazing because there are so many people out there who have this, um, this idea in their minds that they just don't want to go to counseling. So maybe it's almost getting your foot in the door, right? By just starting by using the app and just getting your feet wet a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I think you're right. We've heard from users quite a few, you know, quite a lot of people use the app and then they decide that they want to do couples therapy or individual therapy. We also have people that will be in therapy and then using the app in between sessions. Um, but yeah, it is, it's made so that that information that is so crucial to knowing how to be in a relationship, that it's accessible to people. We talk about therapy a lot and the two main components of feedback that I get from all our listeners and all our followers and everything is that Number one, therapy is so expensive and it's very hard to find in network. And number two, and I think this is actually even bigger than the first one, is for some reason, it's really hard to convince your partner a lot of times to go for therapy. Can you, do you have any idea what does that stem from? Because I think we're, we're not, we're waiting until something is broken mm -hmm. rather than sort of being on the, I guess, you know, playing defense from the beginning and just saying, hey, while it's still good, let's keep it strong. Why, why do you think our, we're like that? Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a great question. I think, you know, there is, all the research says it takes couples an average of six years to get to therapy after kind of starting that conversation or one person wanting to go. So it, it does take a long time for couples to actually get in the door. And usually it's a crisis that brings them in. Um, I, you know, I, I think it has to do with the fact that anything that we speak out loud to our partner or to someone else, it makes it more real, right? So if I'm struggling in my marriage and I don't, I don't speak it out loud, it's kind of just sitting with me and I'm feeling all the emotions. But once I put words to it, either to my partner or someone else, it makes it more real. It also means that I need to take responsibility for my part of it, right? That I'm a part of this marriage that's having a hard time. Um, and I, th I think there's also just, there's still stigma, you know, in our culture, in our country, 
um, throughout most of the world, right? That asking for help, needing help, not doing things perfectly is weak or wrong, or there's some, you know, that there's something wrong with you if you can't get it together, if you ha haven't figured it out. Yeah, and I love that now I feel like a lot of celebrity couples are coming forward. I know like Dak Shepard and Kristen Bell have come forward and they're like, well, we started therapy like three months after we were dating. And I think it's great that a lot of people are coming forward and saying, no, 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 this is something that we're doing proactively because we want to keep the relationship good. We don't want to wait till it's broken. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's part of our hope with lasting is that it will become more of a proactive tool for marriages, right? that more people will realize, okay, this is something that I can use easily. It helps improve my marriage and it can, keep, it can keep me growing. I don't have to just look for help when I'm in crisis, right? But I can learn these skills and have a healthy, successful marriage. We spend so much time during their day scrolling Instagram and scrolling social media and everything, but you never really sit down and take a few minutes to actually be in the moment, like thinking about your marriage and proactively trying to work on it. Can I chime in? Please. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> As Danielle has said many times, I started therapy recently. Uh, what's it been? About two months now? Uh, about. And what I found, one of my favorite things about, I say favorite because I love going. So one of my favorite things about going, especially when Danielle was with me, when you have that middleman, when you have somebody there almost as a mediator, it makes it so much more comfortable to talk about things that normally you would talk to with your spouse at home and just fight because nobody can get their point across properly. And I feel like it's really important to have that person there to be the mediator, just as, you know, the app kind of acts that way too. And it's, it's almost like you're both focused on communicating properly because somebody's watching. And yeah. that's really, really important. That's what I'm. my biggest takeaway from therapy so far is, and that's, I, I just love that and think it's so important. Yeah, and that's, that's what couples say all the time in my room. One, one person will stop and say, I can't believe you're talking about this, right? Or someone will look shocked and say, I've never heard you talk this way. I don't even know what to do, right? There is this almost automatic accountability with having somebody else in the room that it gives you more courage. It gives you a little more strength, a little more focus. Um, yeah, it's very cool to watch. Yeah, I mean, look, we did have a little bit of practice before. We are talking and fighting in front of 100,000 people sometimes. So <laughs> it did kind of build me up a little bit to talk it to one person one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> so it's not, not like we've been shy about it so far. <laughs> You guys are practicing vulnerability on the podcast. So. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But also when, when, when we were there together, I think an important thing is that uh, when you're sitting there in that environment, you, you also don't want to humiliate yourself. You don't want to stand up and start screaming like a lunatic, which is sometimes what I do at home. <laughs> but mm -hmm. you kind of have to keep your cool a little bit while still trying to express what it is you want to express. Yes. Yes. But I... But I will tell you, there are moments where someone loses their cool and flips their lid in session in front of me, right? Because they have developed that sort of comfortability. And that can also, that can also be a huge turning point for couples where they do that in the room and then I'm able to direct them to a different place instead of them getting stuck in the ways that they typically do things. How do, how do you as a therapist handle that situation? Because obviously, like if you're just, out or with friends and a couple starts yelling at each other. It's the most uncomfortable situation possible. So obviously you as a professional sitting down in that situation, how do you handle something like that? Is your uncomfort level like it would be if you were just out with people? Or I'm just curious, just for even my benefit, because if that happens for me while I'm at my therapist, I want to know yeah. what she's thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking it's very different when I'm out with friends. I mean, you think of that scenario where you know couples are fighting in front of their other friends and everyone's like awkward yeah yeah and it happens <laughs> yeah but I, I would say as a you know as a therapist kind of like you guys as a pod on a podcast you guys practice vulnerability together uh, you know and you know tons of people are listening to what you're sharing and over time you become more and more comfortable with it and so over time just sitting with couples you know my anxiety levels don't go up I'm able to remain 
at, you know, a baseline of calm because I know what I want to, I know where I want to go with it. Um, and so when I do see people, when my, when my couples flip their lid or somebody starts yelling, um, I'm able to, because I've built a relationship with them, I'm able to calm them down, right. And help their partner calm them down as well. And then I'm also able to move toward them and ask them really hard questions. And depending on where they are in the process, they can, um, kind of dig deep and respond in a different way. And, you know, we all have these, um, we call them, you know, secondary emotions in the therapy world that are, it's your anger, your frustration, you're flipping the lid. Um, you're kind of the heated, most of the emotions you show when you're in an argument and below those are these primary softer emotions. And so if I can get, you know, when couples are really heated and, you know, things are like tensions are high when they can calm down, we can often get to that softer level of emotion that's more important for us to be talking about and entering into. In the app, there's a, a kind of a quiz you take in the beginning. It's sort of just to get to know, I guess, a little bit about your marriage and what what points um, do you need to concentrate on most and everything. Can you talk a little bit about those and how they're divided up and, and how you um, break those down into what you need to work on? The design there was... Um, you know, in, in thinking about, our, we've tried to make the app as much like a therapy session as you can with an app. Um, obviously, there's limitations. But, you know, when I meet with couples, I do um, a whole interview in my first session, and then I have them take an online assessment that covers, you know, mine covers about 100 questions, I think. And so we tried to, we tried to boil that down into a smaller assessment with the idea of trying to help people come in, start kind of get their feet wet with some questions about, you know, their communication style, um, conflict style, what's really going on in the relationship. And then, you know, depending on, so there's within the assessment, there's different questions that then will kind of ping or target different series that will be suggested to you afterwards. And so depending on how you answer it, after you take the assessment, the app comes up and says, here's, you know, here are your areas of strength and here are the areas for improvement. Here's where we recommend you start. And, you know, that's kind of based on the algorithms of the assessment, which I, I did not create. Um, <laughs> but right. I, I helped kind of design, I helped design the questions of the assessment to try to make them, yeah, getting your feet wet, kind of also getting you to look at yourself and your marriage in an honest way and start to think about what is going on in my marriage and what do I want in my marriage? One of the things that um, it said, and now I'm going to forget the term, um, that throughout the day, there are thousands of, what do they call it? Emotional, emotional um, calls. Emotional calls. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's Can right. you talk about that? Because when I read that, I was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. And I never <laughs> heard that term before. Um, but now I, I want to learn more about it. I mean, wh what are emotional calls and what do they have to do with marriage and how can we be more aware of them? Yeah. Yeah. It's, pre it's pretty mind blowing when you think about it because it's something you've just done in your relationship and not realized what's happening kind of under the surface. Right. And so the, the emotional calls are the interactions between you and your partner, you know, on a daily basis. And they're the different ways that you reach toward your partner for emotional connection. And by emotional connection, that actually covers all of the interactions in your marriage. Um, so your an emotional call can be making a call for jokes. You know, you could tell a joke to your partner. Um, it could be sighing and you're feeling tired. It could be putting your arm around your partner. It could be asking to talk to your partner. Um, it, all of those things are the ways that we move toward our partner asking for connection. And so it kind of, the reason we call them emotional calls is because it works like a phone call. Like, you know, I'm, I'm reaching toward my partner and I, I want connection. My partner then has the choice to move toward me and respond favorably to meet my connection, to meet my need, or my partner can move away or my partner um, can just totally miss it and, you know, not even realize I'm making an emotional call. Um, so if you break it down, you know, the emotional calls are kind of the ways that you need your partner throughout the day, but they really, they can be so subtle and we don't realize how many different connections we're making and not making um, between each other, but those emotional calls form the foundation for your marriage, right? So the different small moments you have with your partner throughout the day create the sense of um, kind of your, 
sense of experience toward your relationship at that moment? How, how satisfied you feel, how connected you feel toward your partner? And what's the ultimate result there? Is the ultimate result to have more positive emotional calls than negative? Yeah, you want more positive emotional calls. Um, the good news is that you don't have to get it perfect. The, you know, the, the Gottmans, um, who's a, a therapist out in Seattle, has studied couples for decades. And he saw that healthy, successful couples only got emotional calls right 86% of the time. So there is room for someone's tired, someone's not paying attention, someone's having a hard day, right? And the emotional calls go missed or dropped. So are there certain emotional calls that are that you want to try to incorporate that, that have, have shown to be the most effective, that um, if you're trying to kind of lean into your partner and maybe make a connection with them, are there certain emotional calls that work better than others? Because we just actually had this conversation the other day um, on the podcast arguing about how we had, we're sort of like, we were sort of in like a distant funk and Adam had stopped even kissing me good morning. Um, I'm sorry, kissing me goodbye in the morning when he left for work. And I saw that as like a huge, I was really angry. And it turned out that he was sort of testing me. He was sort of like, well, why am I always the one who's kissing goodbye in the morning and not you? And you know, one of those things. But I, I, I feel like those sort of things are really important and we don't stop to think about them, but are there certain, if we were going to try to have certain emotional calls during the day, every day consistently, are there any that prove more effective than others? Yeah, it's a good question. And I would say, you know, it is very relationship specific because you and Adam are going to have different needs and different ways that you want to be connected throughout the day. And so that really comes down to being able to ask very specifically, directly, and honestly, for what you need from your partner, which can be very hard, right? It can be challenging to kind of lay yourself out there and say, I really need more of this. Mm -hmm. um, but on, a, on the kind of a general level to increase emotional connection, you know, one of the very basic, most simple things you can do is to continue to ask open-ended questions of each other. Because that does allow you and your partner to continue to grow in understanding and knowing one another. And it does build emotional connection. Um, but our, our app actually has, you know, in, in the different series and we do go through different emotional calls and you get to decide which ones are important for you and which ones are, you could, your partner can decide which ones are important, important for him or her. Um, and that, you know, that way you can also be very direct in talking with your partner about, Hey, how do you like me to reach toward you during the day? How do you like to connect? And that's, then that information is shared between the two partners, right? If you're, if yeah. you're both using the app. Yes. If you want to share the information. Which is amazing because then you don't have to directly say it to the person. Right. Which can be great, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, for us, especially it's very helpful because first of all, we barely see each other during the week. So if we have that connection, that's number one. Number two, it's like, it doesn't need to start a whole thing. It's just, sometimes you just want to say something and have it be done. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. That's, that is like what we wanted that to be for. And, 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 you know, and then maybe there's some things that come up that you and your partner decide we need to have a conversation about these, or we want to go farther in this topic. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's great, especially for hard topics that you, you know, have a hard time talking with your partner about that can kind of break the ice. And one thing my mom always has said, um, and my parents have been married for like 50, I don't know, four, 55 years, long time. Um, and she's always said, you're, you should kiss your partner every single day. It, like, and I was always like, all right, whatever, you know, okay, how you, some days go by, you can't. She's like, no, no, you should kiss your partner every single day. Is there truth behind that? I have to just ask that personally. There, there is research saying that you should kiss your partner for 30 seconds every day. Yes, that's what she used to say for 30 seconds. And I'm like, oh my God, that's like a long time on a regular day to kiss your partner. Yeah. No, they, they've done studies and seen that that does increase emotional connection and improve marriages. Can you do it for three seconds, 10 times in a day instead of once <laughs> right, for 30 seconds? Right, that's a good question. Yeah, why not? It's your marriage, right? Okay. I just right. want to hit that 30 seconds. That's I'm just concerned about that. Yeah. I think that the big thing with emotional calls is just realizing how many different ways and interactions you have with your partner that are both small and big throughout the day and trying to tune yourself into what your partner is needing and asking for. 
and for yourself to try to figure out what am I needing and asking for and how am I feeling? Am I feeling emotionally connected to my partner or am I feeling disconnected? And what can I do to kind of move toward them? So if that means three second kisses a couple times a day, sure, go for it. Right. Yeah, I, I think I think certainly we're not, I, I think when we're in our lives are so busy, we're not really taking sometimes during the day, sometimes during the week, any time to connect. And I think that's what happens with Adam and me is we, we fall into that because it's just so busy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's what a lot of couples fall into, especially, you know, if you've been married for a significant amount of time and you've figured out, you know, I think some couples also figure out how to be really, really good at being a team, right? They kind of figure out how to run the household pretty well, take care of the kids pretty well. And so their connection, their time that they put into their marriage can just go to the wayside because you can kind of run on autopilot at that at that point. Can you talk a little bit about, I know we have a lot of John Gottman fans um, out there. And uh, I know you said you took, you, you guys used a lot of other researchers too. I, I think something like, what was it, like 25 researchers or something that you guys combined yeah, we, we, we have a lot and we, we actually are, that's continually expanding. Right now we're trying to produce a new, a new series on a topic every two weeks. And so we're constantly looking at current research and looking at how that fits into what we already have. So I don't even know that, I don't know the actual number now. Right, right. But can you talk a little bit about some of the most important research behind that? Like you talked a little bit about John Gottman, if you want to give a little bit of background from that, just pull, maybe there's like a few of the most important, just yeah. kind of things that if anybody is wondering, like, cause there's so much research out there, just so we can kind of mm-hmm. get just a few bullet points of what are the, what is the research? What should we be concentrating on and any kind of like helpful tips right now, just, you know, in the moment? Sure. Um, Yeah. John Gottman has done, you know, I think it's 40 plus years of research and he actually created what he called a love lab where he had couples come in and he videotaped them and studied them to see what healthy, successful couples did and what couples did that eventually ended in divorce or were dissatisfied. Um, so his research is huge and kind of fundamental in the couples therapy realm. Um, another very instrumental um, researcher and therapist is Sue Johnson, who created an approach to couples therapy called emotionally focused therapy. And her approach is based in the concept of attachment, that you and your partner um, have an attachment bond that is based in an emotional connection between the two of you. And it resembles very much the emotional connection between a a mom or caregiver and a baby. And that underneath underneath of the interactions going on between you and your partner is this um, kind of back and forth of creating distance and closeness and moving toward one another and being able to comfort each other in distress. And so her, her work is huge. Um, another big researcher that we go to a lot is Dan Siegel. And he's done a lot of research in, on the brain and how, how the brain continues to grow and develop. Um, you know, because now, you know, back when I was growing up, I was told, you know, you hit 20 or mid-20s and your brain stopped growing. <laughs> and now that concept has been blown out of the water by neuroscience and they can see that our brains continue, they have the ability to keep growing and forming new neural pathways all the way through our life. Um, and so his, his work is huge too, because it, it actually um, reiterates Johnson's concept of attachment, that attachment is how we best function as human beings, that our brains are wired for connection and relationships. Um, and so that's been fascinating and instrumental as we kind of put together all this information for the app is this idea that our brains can continue to grow, develop, we can work with our brains and our brains are actually relational. Um, and our brains are very much impacted by how we interact with our partner. Isn't the, um, there's a study that people who um, are married and, you know, tend to live longer than, is that, is that true? Yes. That's totally true. I think it's like they live 10 years longer. See? I'm making your life longer. <laughs> How do you shorten that? 
<laughs> yeah, I, I think there's just, I mean, there's, there's so much information that sometimes it's nice to condense it because there's, your head can start spinning and who has time? I don't have time to sit and read all the books. And, you know, I, I just, I know that there's so much information out there. What's what's your male response been to all this? I mean, it, this is very all of these terms, all of this information. It's very overwhelming for me. But you know, I'm into it and I get it, and I'm you know doing my part. Are are you seeing a big male response, or what what they're saying compared to their you know spouse, wives, whoever it is? I'm just curious what you're hearing yeah. from the men. No, it's a good it's a good question. I think. I think men like the, I think men like the app because it breaks things down into very like digestible segments and it makes it practical, right? Um, It's very easy to go in and to learn something that you can then apply to your relationship to become a better partner. Um, But yeah, are you speaking to more the, the idea that this is very, I mean, it is highly relational, highly emotionally, Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com saturated right all of this information is causing a lot of distress in marriages because this is what women want that guys really have trouble providing to the level of mm. what women want and are maybe uncomfortable with what was that term that you used before the emotional calls yeah the emotional calls like I, i've never heard that before in my Neither life have I. I, but i i couldn't even dissect it if you gave me those two words like i i it's hard for, I guess, me as a guy to kind of like dissect that. It, it It's foreign. I think this is foreign language for men and maybe have trouble understanding it. And you know what I'm trying to say. Can you say it for me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, you know, I, I think, well, let me, let me, um, I guess, clarify a little bit with the emotional calls. Um, so emotional, they are called emotional calls, but it's kind of in this, this, overarching um umbrella that everything we do in life is emotive because we're emotive as people does that make sense and so yeah any sort of interaction for closeness and connection with your partner is an emotional call and so i think women you know are going to stereotypically but for reason they're going to move more into the camp of wanting to sit down and have heart-to-heart conversations right and talk through in depth issues with their partner and and men you know men as my husband tells me men like to do things with their partners and do things with other men and people right they like to have adventures and shared interests um and that that is an emotional call as well you know if my if my partner wants to play tennis with me that's a way that we're emotionally connecting even though you could say on the surface it's not emotive right but it is okay that makes sense yeah that totally makes sense so, you know, I mean, tell, telling a joke to your partner, right? Um, telling your partner, I'm, try, I'm trying to think of some more that would go in that. Um, I mean, asking for sex is an emotional call. Um, oh, asking, so that counts. Yes, that totally counts. Awesome. Um, that, that falls into the banner of emotional calls. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, does pro, so does problem solving, right? Men tend to be more problem solvers, more want to fix things. That's an emotional call. Hey, can we sit down and look at the budget? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Everyone's blood pressure goes up, right? Yeah, exactly. All right, we've done enough of that so far. Let's move on from there. (laughs) But those are emotional calls as well. They're ways that you are seeking connection and moving toward your partner. They might not. They might not feel as gushy, um, overtly emotional as you, your partner, crying over how hard their day was. Yeah. And I, I just want to, from what Adam is saying, and I totally agree, I think probably, you know, most of the people who are, who don't want to seek counseling in the relationship, it's probably more men, right? Mm-hmm. I think, I think 
so. I think that there is, you know, I think men have, um, you know, we have these part, we have, we have emotions and then we have meta emotions, which are the feelings we have toward our emotions. And I think that men tend to have their meta emotions tend to be more embarrassment over feeling sad or guilt over, you know, guilt over anger, right? They tend to have, they tend to have meta emotions that lead them to dismiss or shut down other emotions. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're more resistant um, to it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they're, and they're more dismissive and avoidant of emotions, whether that's because of their personal history, cultural influence. Um, so I think it's harder for men to say, you know, I'm going to go and talk about my feelings or talk about what's going on with my partner. Yeah. And Adam found a therapist who, uh, who lets me come once in a while. And she says, I'm not a couples therapist, but we still talk about stuff and he talks about his issues and I listen and we're still sort of doing it together. Mm, That's great. Yeah. So, I mean, there's also that, that you could maybe find somebody who's willing to do that. Yeah. And And I think, you know, I think the best chance that someone has when they bring up wanting to go to couples therapy with their partner, the best chance they have of the other person being on board is if that partner comes at it from a place of owning their responsibility of what's going on, right? Coming at it in a soft approach and saying, I really want to get us help because I'm, I see what I'm doing to our marriage and I see how, I see what I'm responsible for instead of bringing it up to the partner and just telling the partner how they need to get help and they need to change, right? It's a much, a much more um, inviting approach if one partner can come edit and say, here's what I'm doing and I want us to get help. We actually have a whole bunch of questions that I promised our listeners and our followers that we would get to of theirs. And is that okay? Do you mind if we, we ask you, yeah. since we yeah. have you here, um, if we ask you, do you want to choose one thing to ask or, um, from, our, from our listeners? Um, yeah. I mean, the, the biggest one that we always get and that I, it's hard for us to answer because, you know, obviously it's a very um, personal subject for everybody, but and the issue of in-laws constantly, everyone's always begging us to do in-law episodes. And, you know, my, my in-laws are this, my in-laws are that, they're ruining us, they're so controlling, blah, blah, blah. And it's such a tricky terrain to navigate. Um, can you talk a little bit about maybe how, how, what, how do you go about, you know, this, this idea of in-laws? I know it could be a whole 20-week session about it, but, you know, in, in a few minutes, can you just maybe give some kind of information because people are obsessed with the whole concept and it's, it's, it's hurting people? Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah. That is such a difficult, um, like you said, terrain. And, I, you know, yeah, I'll try to give some big generalities. Um, you know, we don't choose our in-laws, as we all know. And um, when we get them, we have to realize that without, you know, subconsciously, um, maybe consciously, we come into those relationships with expectations, with an idea of what those relationships are going to look like. Um, And so I think a big component of moving toward health with in-laws is being able to come to terms with what you thought that relationship was going to look like, um, and then allowing yourself to realize that it's not that way that you didn't choose these people, but they're in your family and they're different than what you expected or wanted um, or even needed. And I would put the word grief into that category because it, there's an emotional element there that you need to name the losses that come with your specific um, in-laws. And then I would say, then as you're, as you're moving through kind of a grief process, which is never, um, never a straightforward linear thing, is kind of all over the place. Um, then you have to try to wrestle with what are realistic expectations for your specific in-laws, not for your best friend's in-laws, not for the in-laws you see on TV, but for your in-laws. And so that means really starting to look at how do they interact with you, with your partner? How do they interact with your kids if you have them? And what are they capable of and willing to do in relationship to you guys? And so what is realistic to expect from them moving forward? And that can be really hard to come to terms with because you might, it might be very different than what you want. Um, and then, you know, then you move into this realm of reevaluating boundaries that you have. Because I think what I hear a lot from people is my, 
yeah, my in-laws are so controlling. My mother-in-law just shows up without being invited, right? Um, and there's this, there's a part of it that's happening where you're allowing your mother-in-law to show up without being invited. And you're allowing your in-laws to control whatever they're controlling as well. And so I guess taking responsibility for what you're doing in the relationship, right? In the interactions that's making things happen the way they're happening. And then really digging deep on what are you, what are you okay with? And what are you not okay with? And having either hard conversations that you, you and your partner have, and then your partner has with your in-laws or that you and your partner have with your in-laws where you kind of lay out, um, maybe you need to lay out a boundary specifically with them. Sometimes you and your partner can make that decision and change just the way you interact with your in-laws. Um, so I think what's really big to understand with in-laws is that you're dealing with a history of attachment relationships with that your partner has had with them, right? For his whole, his or her whole life. And you're, you're jumping into this, um, you know, kind of system that's going on. Um, and you kind of have to, you have to find your place and your footing and you have to figure out what you're okay with and not okay with. And, and I would say when it comes to you and your partner, you guys get to decide what you're okay with, what you feel comfortable with, and how frequently you see the in-laws, um, how much they come over, how much you talk to them on the phone, what kind of gifts they can buy for your kids, if that's an issue. Um, that can go, yeah, this could go in so many directions. Right, and, <laughs> and I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think that, I mean, is really the core of it that, I mean, the same, we've been going over this whole thing with finances that Adam and I, you know, have been on a different page with finances for so long and we're finally sitting down and sort of budgeting. It sounds almost like, and, you know, we're finally having calm conversations about it, right? And it would always be a screaming match. And I feel like maybe from what you're saying is you kind of need to sit down and have that calm conversation and work it out, you know, both coming into it and realizing that there's a problem and both owning it and realizing that you need to come to some kind of an agreement about it. You, you and your partner or you with your- Yeah, you and your partner. Okay. Yes, definitely. And I think that with any- any realm of a relationship, finances, sex, communication, in-laws, you and your partner, no matter how similar you are, have different realities in how you view and interact with that realm, right? And so being able to respect that your partner is coming from a different place and your, and your partner respecting that you're in a different place and being able to have healthy conversations is really challenging, but necessary, especially when it comes to those big issues like finances and in-laws and sex. The, the second question that I, that I have is, um, for, uh, it was a lot of the same kind of thing, but about different issues. You know, we're both, we both have very different levels of emotion. I'm very emotional. My partner is not. I react to things, you know, really, really hard, be it um, miscarriage or, um, you know, a, a diagnosis or mental illness or whatever it is. Um, that there's just two completely different reactions and that my partner doesn't understand why my reaction is so strong. Um, mm -hmm. And how do we deal with that? How do I make him or her see that, you know, this is, this is really affecting me and that doesn't mean that you can't just say, calm down, it's not that big of a deal or, you know, why are you so upset? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I would say that gets into this, you know, we would say it's gender, um, but there's often within a relationship, there's one person who is more emotive outwardly and another person where sometimes emotions can feel so overwhelming to people that it sends them into, you know, a, a fear reaction, a fight, flight, or freeze reaction and can make them shut down because there's so much anxiety connected to their partner feeling upset. Um, so yeah, it's a very, it's a very tricky thing because that could go in, that goes into such big core issues of emotional connection and attachment between two people. Um, but I will say often when one person is upset and the other person is either unable or unwilling to validate that person's emotional reality, that person usually their emotional reality gets more intensified because then what happens is that their attachment kind of fears come out where they can feel frantic and desperate and they can start to wonder, is that person really there for me? Is my partner really here for me? And it makes the emotion get even louder and more intense, which obviously makes the other person more overwhelmed and makes them shut down more. 
Um, so it's, yeah, it's hard. I think, you know, helping a lot of, and when I work with my couples, a lot of times it's helping one person see that they just need to validate the other person's emotional response. They don't need to agree with it. They just need to say, oh, I hate that, that, that it hurts so bad. I can see how painful it is. And that's different than, you know, that's different than saying, I feel it too, but it's saying like, I see you and I see how hard this is. Um, and when partners can do that, even if they're the less emotive one, the other partner is able to um, feel seen, feel heard, feel that their partner's there for them and can actually, like the intensity kind of comes down. Adam and I have very different emotional responses to almost everything. And it is a sort of like, he'll sit there silent and I'll sort of be like, well, why aren't you saying anything? He's like, well, I don't know what to say. Some just uh, phrases or something that you could throw out or a touch or a, what, you know, something that other than silence or why are you feeling like this or, you know, that you're, you're, you're totally overreacting. And I think, you know, what Adam's saying is so true for a lot of people in a relationship where they just are overwhelmed. It's not that they don't care. It's that they're so overwhelmed by the emotion and by what's going on, and they don't know how to help the other person. And so they end up feeling helpless, um, inadequate, and they, literally, they look like they're disinterested. They look like they're bored. Sometimes they look like they're checked out, and really, they're just struggling to figure out how to connect with their partner, how to be there for their partner. Do you get that a lot like from guys? I, I always say Danielle completely overreacts. 100% of the time. Do a lot of guys say that about when their wives are trying to talk to them about something and then they get silent? It's because I can't compete with what you're saying. I don't even know what to say to respond to what you're saying because it seems like you're just off the banter and it sounds crazy to me and I'm just going to shut up. I got nothing to say to it. Is that kind of a normal thing or is it just me? No, that's, that's pretty normal. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty normal for yeah the, the man to not know what what to say if they can't fix it or make it go away. And um, I, was, I would say it is, you know, if you can stay away from telling your partner that they're too needy or they're too emotional or they're overreacting, then you will make some strides. Um, even if that's what you're, even if that's like your initial knee jerk. Um, if you can just see it as that's their reality and it makes sense for them because every person's emotional response makes sense for them. It might not make sense for their partner, but it makes sense for them and it's valid for them. Okay. Um, but, yeah. but since you said that it's kind of normal, so I'm going to use us instead of me. So to us, to guys, it's an overreaction. That's what we're hearing. We're hearing mm -hmm. overreacting coming from our wives' mouths. And it's we just can't compete with it. So, yeah, we shut down. So... I don't know. It's it's hard to have something to say coming back to that because it's, listen, you're overreacting. You are literally overreacting. But if we can't say that, what can we yeah. say? Because we yeah. think you are overreacting. Right. And if you say that, it's going to make them probably get louder and right. more upset. Yeah, that, that never works, ever. But we're not, but we're not using that as a thing to calm things down. It's our, an excuse as to why we shut down. Yes. Because I, I don't want to hear this anymore. Uh, like, right. okay, you're you're uh, you're illogical. You're making no sense. You're overreacting. All right, mm -hmm. we're done. Yeah, totally. Um, I would say, you know, and and this this is harder than it sounds. You know, harder than you can always. I can tell you what should happen in that scenario. What could help? But it's so much harder when you're in the moment of it. Um, but if you can just throw out any validation word, a hold of the hand, even looking at your partner and saying. I know this is really hard and I'm here for you. It can be, you can even say the same thing, you know, every other time, every time if you want. Um, it goes a long way, especially for that partner that feels that they're too, too emotional, you know, because that partner's already feeling it um, most likely in the relationship because if things are going that way, the pattern is that one partner gets overwhelmed, shuts down, feels the other partner's overreacting. The other partner is feeling that. They feel needy. They feel like they're too much. And that's really scary for that partner as well. It's um, also hard, though, in the moment when I'm frustrated because I just want her to shut up because she's screaming. And I, in my opinion, she's overreacting. The last thing I want to do or the last thing I think about is, okay, let me hold your hand 
and say, listen, this is how we should talk. Like, that's not realistic for me in that situation. Okay. Yeah. So, so, then, so then you think about what is, what is realistic for you? Cause I, it's, to, it's not off limits to in, in some way help your partner see that maybe they are overreacting to something, right? It, that doesn't mean their emotions aren't valid, that they don't make sense. Right. But that's, that's not off limits. It's just in the heat of the emotion. That's not helpful. Right. Um, so figuring out for you, what could, what is doable, right? What could you offer, right, to Danielle when she's in that place? And maybe that's asking her what she's needing. Some, some people just need to hear, like, I hear you. Or, okay, if her tone of voice or she's yelling or something is making you feel attacked, feel like she's ganging up on you or blaming yes. you. Yes, yes, all that stuff. Okay, then, then that's what you should say in the moment is I feel attacked right now. Oh, I like that. That's quite and simple. It, yeah, <laughs> and, and, I would, and I would say too, I mean, we also, I don't know if you guys have covered this in your um, podcast, but if you feel emotionally overwhelmed and flooded, that is a thing. And your brain actually shuts down in the parts that are responsible for rational thinking and problem solving. Um, so you actually, if you feel that way, you can, if you and your partner can acknowledge that and take a break, things will go so much better for you. You know, so if you ever feel, I feel like I can't even say anything. I feel so frustrated. I think I'm going to flip my lid. I might do something I'm going to regret. You can, if you and your partner can decide if that happens, let's take a break. And the break needs to be at least 20 minutes because that's how long your body takes to physiologically calm. And you need to do something that's soothing and distracting for yourself. Not go away and be like, oh, she's such a jerk. She's such a jerk, right? <laughs> but go off and take a walk or take a bath or go for a run and let your body calm down. But tell your partner, hey, let's come back and talk about this in 30 minutes or an hour. Um, that's, so that That's good. Yeah, that is like that, that is... That is a really healthy thing to do, especially when things get very heated. Um, but yeah, I would say just focus, yeah, name, name what you're experiencing. And instead of telling her that she's overreacting, say, I feel attacked. I feel like you're blaming me. I think that's good. I mean, I, I think, I think that's yeah. really good. <laughs> good job. I think also um, one of the big questions that people always have that, that we get a lot is, okay, we always talk about date night and everything. And, you know, you have young kids or you have work or um, just life gets in the way. What, what should people be striving for as far as just time, just the two of you? How often does that need to happen? Um, you know, does it need to be a weekly thing? Like what is there some kind of gauge for, because I have, there are plenty of people who say we'd never get to be alone together. Um, you know, we, we'd never get to um, just, reconnect during the week or we're both have different schedules or what, what should we be aiming for? Hmm. I mean, that's such a hard question because it's very different based couple to couple. I think, you know, I've read some things where people suggest like planning weekends away two to four times a year and a date night every week or every other week. That feels ideal to me. That feels, especially in this, in a season of kids, um, that feels like the that feels like the top of the bar to me. <laughs> I you know I think it it depends on you and your partner kind of what your how much you need to see your partner um, and being able to you know I guess yeah I guess so I guess it goes into more than just date nights. Um, what are the rituals of connection for you and your partner throughout your day and your week that aren't necessarily these big chunks of date nights? But how do you and your partner? You talked about you and Adam how you leave in the morning, right? Are you, how is that ritual going? Is it allowing you to feel more connected or not connected? How do you guys connect during the day? Do you text? Do you call each other? Um, what happens at night? Do you guys have a way that you connect at the end of the day, even if it's 10 to 20 minutes before you get into the grind of cleaning the house and doing all the things that need to be done? Um, but I would say, you know, I think one or two dates a month. Um, I, th I think once a month is great. Uh, when, especially in a season of kids. So again, it, all, it also just depends on your resources, right? Yeah, I mean, um, but, but, and, and finding childcare should be a priority, right? Like, I mean, I feel like people say, I mean, shouldn't we, we should be budgeting for that, right? Because if, if, if it means that you're going to get away with your spouse and um, you really yeah. need that. Yes, and if you, I mean, if you have kids, the research shows that the quality of your marriage is the biggest factor in your kids. I think it's emotional, social, 
and mental development. Um, so if that's not a reason to set aside money for a date night, I don't know what is. Um, but there's also, there's all creative ways to do that. You know, you can babysit swap with another couple where you guys each babysit for the other couple once a month. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And that, that's a free way to do it, right? That's a great idea. Um, you can do, but you can also do date nights in the house if you really financial, you know, you have financial limitations, your kids go to bed and you and your partner wait and have dinner together after they go to bed and you do something that's special and intentional with each other. Yeah. Well, our daughter's 13 now, so we're about mm -hmm. to start taking advantage of that. You're in the because, sweet spot. Yeah. <laughs> she, she can handle the, she can handle yeah. her younger brothers. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. We're, we've, we're finally there. <laughs> we're, we're a few years off. That's great. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, it's good. It's good. Um, I, think, I think really having, you know, I think in, you know, culture, we call it a DTR, but having those sort of check-ins with your partner and asking, you know, are we making this a priority? Do we feel like we're going out enough where we're spending enough time together and letting each person, you know, talk about what their ideal is and how they feel about what's currently going on. How about dealing with a, a spouse that travels a lot? Hmm. Yeah. Um, we actually, we just finished a series on long distance relationships um, and kind of, I just finished looking at a lot of research on what makes them successful. I was, I was surprised in doing the research. I think in my mind, I thought people that have a partner that travels a lot or do long distance, that the satisfaction relationally would be lower and it wasn't. Um, all the studies they've done shows that people in long distance or one, you know, kind of encompassing all long distance relationships, that people were as satisfied as geographically close relationships. And some were even more satisfied, which was an interesting part of that. Um, yeah, but I, I would say the big components of long distance relationships or someone that travels a lot um, is really um, honing in on how do you guys stay connected when that person's away? And when that person's back, right, how do you want to spend your time? Because there's a lot of pressures when someone is gone for a while and then comes home. There's also the transition to being back together and then being apart. And um, so our, our series covers a lot of what does that look like and how do you and your partner intentionally plan out rituals for when your partner leaves again, when your partner comes home, um, how you guys spend time together when your partner's back. And then how you support each other when you're right not in the same place. So like creating some consistency out of the inconsistency. Yes, yes. And, and really marking time together intentionally, right? Really speaking, really being honest with each other about what you need to, whether that's hearing kind of a verbal reassurance from your partner when they leave. You know, because the thing about long distance and partners that travel is that there's so much more room for doubt and insecurity and fear to crop up. And so how being honest with your partner about what you need to hear from them, what they need to do when they're away, how much you guys need to be in contact and prioritizing what your partner needs on both ends. You guys are doing an amazing thing because there are so many people out there, anybody who, who just for some reason or another can't or hasn't had counseling, but this is an amazing tool. And I, I think it's really awesome. Thanks. I appreciate that. And I, and I, I will say the, the, the one plug I'll say is that therapy, you know, on average, I think the national average is 120 per session. And our app, a year subscription is $80. I think it's $79.99. Yeah. So wow. It's like a wanna, one night, one night of dinner. Yeah. If you want to invest, you know, why not invest in your marriage for the long haul? And these small changes that you make really make a huge difference. And I think even for you, Adam, like, I think it's an easy thing. I mean, for five minutes a day, right? It's even, like, yeah, even I can handle five minutes a day right. of emotions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think that, you know, if you have a spouse who's saying, I don't want to go to therapy, right, which is what Adam said for so long, I, I think you, this is a really good way to say, okay, well, let's compromise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's you know? try Let's try this. Let's compromise and let's 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 for five minutes, you know, share these thoughts that are totally guided. We don't have to do, you know, any of the, the it's kind of all done for you. You just have to plug in your particular, you know, um, your particular feelings about something. It's all the work is done. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. But yeah, we try, we try to make it so that you can walk through it with, you know, you just put, you, you put yourself into it, but it's, the structure's all there. Yeah, it really is. And it's, I think it's really wonderful. And thank you so much for talking to us. We really, we really appreciate it. And um, it's always, it's, it's great to get free therapy. <laughs> yeah. Liz, tomorrow night, same time. We'll, we'll talk again, but yeah. privately. Um, <laughs> Make it a weekly thing. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and the website is getlasting.com, correct? Yes, getlasting.com. Okay. Well, thank Thanks. you so much, Liz. It's been really great talking to you. Same to you guys. Okay. All right. Have a good night. Thanks, Liz. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.